Have you heard about Global Poker? Global Poker is the fastest growing card room in the US today, and it's available online at globalpoker.com. Global Poker is a social poker site that offers safe and secure cash out options by using their unique and patented sweepstakes model. Players can compete in big guaranteed tournaments, jackpot sit and goes, or cash games featuring Hold'em, Omaha, and even Crazy Pineapple. Don't wait. Check out Global Poker today. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. If this is your first time joining us for Poker Stories, let me tell you about a cool offer we have for our listeners. Uh, After you've heard this episode, and I think you will enjoy it, please do us the favor of subscribing, giving us a five-star rating, and perhaps even leaving a nice review. If you do all that, let us know with an email to pokerstories at cardplayer.com, and we'll hook you up with a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. This is episode number 95, featuring Poker Hall of Famer Jennifer Harmon. Jennifer is, of course, one of the most prolific cash game players in poker history, having played for higher stakes than pretty much anyone else on planet Earth. Originally from Reno, Jennifer started playing poker while in college, and then turned pro after moving to Los Angeles in the late 80s. She gradually worked her way up in stakes, determined to get to the biggest game in the room. She eventually made it to table one, and was one of the key players in the corporation that took on billionaire banker Andy Beal in a series of heads-up matches that were chronicled in the book The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King. Harmon herself once won three consecutive sessions of $3 million each against Beal, playing him for stakes as high as $100,000-$200,000. Jennifer has two World Series of Poker bracelets. The first came in 2000 in the $5,000 No Limit Deuce event, and the second came a couple years later in the $5,000 Limit Hold'em event, which made her the first woman to win two open events in WSOP history. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here's my conversation with the legendary Jennifer Harmon. I'm joined now by the wonderful and lovely and talented Jennifer Harmon. Jennifer, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Yeah, you ha- good. You holding up in there? Right now, it's you know the middle of the series time. You would be uh, just wrapping up the main event, and uh, this year, not so much. Gosh, I knew I was going to win the main event this year too. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> this was your year, right? And they went and took it, it from you. It was my year. <laughs> have you it's been uh, Have you been playing online at all to get to get the fix, or is it not the same? I'm playing a couple WSOP events. You know, I I plan on playing them all every day, and then I look <laughs> at the time, and it's like, okay, late registration's over. I don't know what what happens. I get busy, and then boom. So I've played in three WSOP events. I've cashed in one and then another, the other two, nothing. Mm-hmm. I had Daniel at my table one time, the last time I played. 
Oh, he is determined this year. He uh, he's got all those side bets going. Um, yeah. So is it is it the same, or you find do you find yourself you know missing the live action and uh, the thrill of physical chips and cards? It's not the same. I love that's I love listening to the cards and the chips go into the pot and the shuffling of the dealer. I love all those the acu- the acoustics that come with live poker. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely not the same. You know, the good thing about online is that you don't have to get up an hour earlier than men do because you don't have to shower or put on makeup and <laughs> get ready to go out of the house. So that's the good thing is you can play in your pajamas. But yeah, it's not it's not a good enough turnoff. Uh, what was your poker schedule like before the lockdown? I mean, were you playing much? I mean, I, we've seen you obviously make appearances on Poker Go the last uh, few months um, before that. So what is your poker schedule like these days? Now? Well, yeah. not a lot of poker. You know, playing WSOP events and... No, I don't mean like now in the, in the current landscape of, you know, during a pandemic. I meant like just in general these days, in the last few years, how much poker uh, have you been playing? No, I play a lot of poker. I play mm-hmm. a lot of cash games at Bellagio. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a different world right now in the pandemic. But, yeah, I've been playing a lot of poker cash games at the Bellagio. Well, obviously, you're famous for your cash game prowess, especially what happened at the Bellagio. Let's start at the beginning, go back to Reno, Nevada, um, because poker wasn't obviously the plan, but you did have a lot of cards in your house growing up, right? Yeah, a lot of cards, a lot of games. Okay, like what? We played Pinochle. We played all, you know, crazy eights, hearts, spades, We play, you know, poker. We played a lot of card games. My mom loved to play games. But then the normal board games, you know, Monopoly, Life, uh, Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever it was. So we played a lot of games growing up, and I grew up being very competitive, but not only with other people, with myself. I could sit in the corner and play games and try and beat myself or hopscotch or whatever it is. I was always playing some competitive game, and was, if I didn't have a friend, I'd be playing against myself. Was that a uh, a Harmon family trait, or was that specific to you? You know, my sister was really competitive, too. She was probably more competitive than me. We got in a lot of fights. Yeah. Uh, she was older or younger? Older. Mm-hmm. But she... Uh, you know, I brought her to the poker table a couple times to play poker. I think the first time she ever played in poker, she made quad aces. <laughs> That's how they get but, you, right? You have to win your first session. But it didn't get her. She was very creative and went into, like, the creative field of interior decorating. So she still loved to play games. Whenever we had family get-togethers, we'd always play Pinochle. Uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, it's all with me. There's no other gamblers in the in the family. My mom, I mean, she was playing pinnacle in back rooms of bars for money. She loved playing pinnacle. And my dad was the worst gambler in the world. But besides that, you know, that that was it. There's not a lot of competitiveness in my family. 
So the family owned um, waste removal services. I'm, I'm I don't know if this is the actual trucks or you guys were you know the 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 accounting behind it or what however it was, but that wasn't what you wanted for your life apparently, or at least according to my research. No, I have you know an Italian family where the woman basically couldn't do the same job as a man. Although my grandfather, he started the company. Uh, I think he was going to start a printing press company at first, and he buried the printer in the backyard because he couldn't take it. (laughs) And he ended up starting waste removal, and he was an extremely intelligent man. And, you know, all my cousins, everybody had girls. Nobody had boys. So, you know, we weren't really involved in... The family business but my grandfather was a big influence on me because he was the type of person is you got to work hard don't ever rely on anybody to take care of you because you mm-hmm. have to take care of yourself and he just kept on me no matter what i did he said you got to work hard at it and you got to be successful yeah so obviously you didn't want to go into the family business and uh you didn't have cards as a, a poker back then. What was the plan in college? I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. How far I, did you get and what did you want to do? And I got a degree in uh, biology. Mm-hmm. And then I just, you know, I had a anatomy, physio, 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 how do you even say it now? Physiology? Physio- yes, thank you. Physiology <laughs> class. And we brought the cadavers in, and I just couldn't handle it. Oh, really? Like real human cadavers? Yes. And I remember one cadaver being brought in. He was actually a local in Reno, and half the class knew him. What? And Yeah, and they were just freaking out, and it just kind of just it bugged me. Yeah. I mean, maybe they do that on purpose to weed people out, but it seems a little maybe. early. <laughs> seems a little yeah. early in the process to scare people to death you know like this is what's gonna happen every day um yeah so that's I just cool. had, you know i had a hard time dealing with like you know patients dying and things like that so uh i just had to scrap it i couldn't do it and also i wanted to be maybe a surgeon or a plastic surgeon and i have this tremor in my hands where i've always um shake Mm-hmm. which has helped me in That's poker, very which I'll come poker. to that story in a second. <laughs> but my hand like just shakes, and I don't think anybody would ever want me operating on that. No, you need so, those steady yeah. hands. <laughs> but what I really wanted to do, it was impossible um, physically to do. But I remember a hand, and I was playing No Limit Deuce, and I made a big hand, and I just moved, uh, the guy bet, and I just moved in, and my hand was shaking so much that he instacalled. He just, you wow. know, he didn't instacall, but he was looking at my hand, and he thought I was bluffing, and I just just <laughs> moved, just moved it. And there were other players in the game where I bet my hand's on my card, protecting my card, and my hand's shaking. My opponent will just take his hand and put it on my hand to, like, calm my hand down. <laughs> They're used to but, it. Yeah. Okay. So, well, okay. So uh, you're uh, in school. Is that when you just took the job at the casino uh, serving cocktails? 
Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was a, um, a weird time for me. My dad had just remarried and disowned me. So basically, because of Gam- no, because his ex-wife or his wife at the time, uh, told him that he didn't, that basically gave him a choice. It's either me or your kids. Mm-hmm. And said that we don't want to, uh, that she didn't want anything to do with her, your kids and you can't support her financially and she has to go out on her own. And so he basically cut me off from everything and so I got a job. Okay. That's what you do. I was under the impression that he was not happy with your poker choices. Um, he really didn't know I was playing poker until maybe I was like 27, 28. Mm hmm. And then he remember? really cut me off. Yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine uh, back then especially, you know, foregoing medical school for, for cards was probably not considered the soundest choice. Um, yeah, he just, I mean, he financially cut me off, but then he also emotionally cut me off Yeah. when well, I was a poker player. Can you talk about your first introduction to actual poker in the casino? I mean, was it just a matter of you're working there and you see it happening and you think, hey, I could do that? No, it was way before. Okay. My dad had a friend, an older guy, who was probably 20 years older than my dad, maybe older. And he would go down and play one and three dollars seven card stud and he'd come to our house and brag about how good of a player he is and (laughs) things like that. So I thought, you know... One day I'd go and watch him play, and I was, I was 16. So I had a fake ID. <laughs> so I went and watched him play, and I'm thinking, oh, I can do this. So I had gone to the eye doctor, and I had my eyes dilated because I was getting, you know, whatever a normal eye check, and and then I decided, you know, I think I'll go play some cards the very first time, and. So I could barely see the cards because my eyes were still dilated. Mm-hmm. And I sat down at this one to three stud table and I saw this other table where they were playing Hold'em and I said, what is that game? So I ended up sitting down and playing uh, Limit Texas Hold'em and that was way more fun than studs. So that's my first experience in a casino when I was 16. Yeah, wow. So you were hooked ever since. Uh, when? How long before you started winning regularly and deciding, hey, maybe I could do this actually as a living? Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I was doing that poorly in the beginning, but for six months I didn't even realize the significance of the button. So I can't have been mm. doing that well. <laughs> yeah, you know, i got to get your a little bit, right? But I, you know, I basically paid for my last two years of college. So I guess I was doing fairly well. Yeah. So you finished school and is the thought, let's just keep playing poker to pay the bills until I find something? Or was it, no, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be a poker It was never what I wanted to do. I mean, that never entered my mind. I, I love poker. And mm-hmm. I actually moved to L.A. because my stepmother kind of ran me out of town. So 
I moved to LA not knowing anyone. And first I was grocery shopping one day and I ran into a poker player at the grocery store. And he told me that they have games at the commerce and the bike. And I said, Oh, really? So I didn't go down there for two or three weeks. And then he called me and he said, you know, you really need to come down here and play. The games are really good. So I said, all right. So I went down there. I remember I didn't have any money on me and I stopped. It was like one in the morning. I stopped at an ATM, which was probably not very bright for a young girl to be at an ATM machine at one in the morning. So it was a little, I was a little nervous, but then I got my money and I went down. I played, I think I started playing three and six Hold'em. And I remember being in there and thinking, wow, I'm home. I feel so comfortable here. I just feel great. And I just started playing a lot, like maybe 70 hours a week. Wow. Yeah. I went from three and six dollar to thirty sixty fairly quickly. Those are that's a big jump. <laughs> I'm assuming there were some steps along the way. Um so this yeah. was the time this was like the late eighties, early nineties when uh no limit was becoming legalized. The Holdem was becoming legalized in California. Um so were you an early Holdem adopter? Right well, when when I went to LA, yeah, there were a lot of new people to limit hold'em, but I was, um, I mean, I'd already been playing hold'em for, I guess I was like around 21 for like five years. Yeah. That, that's gotta be a huge advantage for a lot of people in that, in LA who were just seeing it for the first time. All right. So let's just say the games were very, very yeah. good. <laughs> um, you know, I talked to, a lot of uh, of the top female poker players, uh, both for this podcast and to interview them for Card Player Magazine. You know, people like Maria Ho, Kelly Minkin, Kristen Bicknell. You ask them who they looked up to when they first started playing, or even why they thought they do this place. And almost always they'll say Jennifer Harmon. Jennifer Harmon is the reason why I'm here today and I could do it. I'm wondering, did you have anybody? Uh, to look up to or somebody who had a blueprint for you to follow like that? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just went in there and started playing. But it's weird because I just always felt like I was home. I always felt like like this is just natural for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I I didn't think people did this for a living and when I got to the bicycle club, it's like you had Doyle and Chip Reese and Johnny Chan and Yosh Nakano and a lot of people. They're all playing like three and six hundred and they're they're actually, you know, professional poker players. And that was just that freaked me out. It's like, wow, people do this for a living. This is so cool. Even though I paid for myself with college and you know, my bills and I had a boyfriend at the time, so I didn't really, you know, think that I was paying for much, but, you know, with the little winning that I was making in poker, I was helping out and paying for whatever I was paying for. But the thought of they do it for a living was just, it was just such a weird concept to me. Yeah. And and I remember, you know, finally getting to the 3060 game and 
the three and 600 game was back in the corner. And I'm like, I'm going to play in that game. I'm going to get that good to play in that game with those guys. So you weren't approaching it as I want to be the first woman to get to the big game. It was more of like, I just got to get there for you. Gender had nothing to do with it. No, I never even thought about it. That's interesting. I, I've looked up a couple of the, of the, female poker players from that era who came before you know i saw some names like jackie jean betty carey terry king but nobody got to the levels you got obviously um i'm wondering if there was if there was ever like a feeling of accomplishment or or a chip on your shoulder because you were the only woman in the game never yeah never i just never thought of it a gender thing even though when i look back on things there were hardly any women playing, but I didn't know Betty Carey, and I didn't know any of the other women poker players. I just, um, you know, I, I, I know Terry, and I love her. She's an amazing woman. I just would love to see her and give her a big hug. Hmm. But um, I didn't know anyone in poker. You know, I didn't, I didn't know who Doyle was. I didn't know who Chip was, Johnny any of those guys. I mean, I eventually, you know, through people talking and things like that, I realized the significance of them in a poker room. But when I said, I want to play in that game, I didn't know anybody in that game. It's just the biggest game. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't really, it wasn't a gender thing to me. It wasn't, I didn't even think that way. And I wasn't treated differently. I wasn't treated like, a man or a woman, I was just treated as a poker player. And I know it's different. I know it's different for a lot of women, but, you know, there was one time when I was a little upset about things. There was a man who I guess was going through a really nasty divorce and he hated all women, hated them. And he came into the, into the poker room, into the bicycle club and we're playing 50 and a hundred limit hold'em. And he sat down, and every other word was directed at me, and it was the C word. Jeez. And I'd been Man. playing with, like, these people for a long time, and none of them came to my defense. And then the guy, I think, I think he lost maybe 20000 in this game, and a 1500 game. <laughs> That's why like, nobody you know, said anything. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm like, you know, call me whatever you want. I don't care if you want to call me the C word, call me. You can, you can call me that all night long. I'll take it. I don't care. Because then, you know, he was just dumping off his money. So it was like, okay, I don't care. I don't care what you call me. Yeah, as long as the wallet stays open. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Well, I'm happy, you know, to hear that the poker community, even before things went mainstream, was progressive and ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, doing what it should have been doing. Um, you know, uh, I'm wondering, were there any rough patches where you thought in going, you know, from three, six, all the way up to eventually the highest limits in the world, were there any patches where you thought, okay, this losing streak won't end. Maybe it's time I look and do something else. Or were you always all in on poker from that point forward? No. Yes, I've had many losing streaks and many self-doubts. And, you know, I used to, it, it's, it's, extre- it's a roller coaster ride. And it's extremely difficult when you're losing 
But Chip Reese used to always say, you know, you can always play good when you're winning. It just, it's what separates a great and a good poker player is how you play when you're losing. And there was many times I took breaks. There were many times that I think that I would, that I wanted to do something else and I'd be researching other stuff uh, many times. Did you get close? <laughs> you know, I guess not. <laughs> I just, I just ended up back at the poker table. It's just such a draw for me. I just, you know, I still love poker. And it's, you know, there's always learning and, and challenging. Like I, I told you at the beginning of the interview that I always love to challenge myself. And, you know, that's what I love about the game because I'm, I'm always challenging myself. What can I learn next? What, what can I learn about the, my opponent? What can, you know, it's always learn, 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 learn. And I love that aspect of the game. And I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. In the, uh, uh, in the book, in uh, Michael Craig's book, The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King, uh, he describes you as somebody who is naturally risk averse, but also can't resist a good spot. Um, is that fair? Um, I know that you were a proponent of shot taking a lot in your career. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm as risky as a lot of the poker players, but when I look back at history and the investments I've made and that kind of thing, none of them were safe. They were all <laughs> high risk investments. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when I invested, I made decisions not on the safety of it, but on who I was investing with. Well, I just wondered, because you're moving up in, in limits. There's a lot of people who play 30-60 for a living, and that's their game forever. You know, they make a decent living at it. Um, was there ever a point where you're doing well, winning at your limits and looking up and going, man, these shot takings aren't working. Maybe I can just grind this limit out forever. Or was it always in your mind, I have to be at table one? No, it was always in my mind. I had to be at table one. That's great. I, I, was, never, I was never satisfied with the limits that I was playing. But, you know, we played some pretty big freaking limits. But <laughs> it wasn't like I just took shots in that game. Basically... I moved all my myself up to like four and eight hundred and five hundred and a thousand, and that was the game. That was table one. Yeah. So the game went up in limits, but I was always in that game. So it's not like I decided, oh, I'm going to go play three and six thousand from two and four hundred. It wasn't like that. It was like eventually we just yeah. increased the limits of the game as it evolved. So I kind of grew, like the limits grew with everybody in the game, not just I'm taking shots that high. But I did take shots when I was playing like 75, 150. I did take shots at 150, 300, two and four, three and six, but I never could win. I remember me and Phil were talking, Ivy, and he said he had a really hard time at four and 800. Like he couldn't win at four and 800. He couldn't. He couldn't get there. It was like, it was like he, uh, he um, just had trouble. He would always lose, and then he'd go back down, the same as me. But then, you know, he reached a point, obviously, where 
he could actually win at four and eight hundred and higher. Yeah. But I think every poker player feels like they're gonna just give up at one point. They just they just they just wanna give up. I think like almost every poker player I think has those thoughts at one point in their life. Um let's talk a little bit about high stakes poker. Um I know you don't want to talk about Andy. <laughs> Uh, but I do have a couple questions, um, peripherally around those crazy, crazy matches uh, against the the corporation. Um, one, the b- name of the book is "The Professor, the Banker, and the Suicide King." Reading it again for the fifth time, uh, I get the impression that besides Howard and Ted, you and Todd were really the forces that did some real damage in those matches. I'm wondering if uh, they ran by uh, an option to put one of your nicknames on the cover, and if you've ever had a poker nickname. Okay, say that last part. You broke out, broke up. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, uh, Howard has the professor nickname, and Ted oh, is the suicide king. I'm wondering if you felt a little slighted that you didn't get your name on the cover, and if so, what nickname would it have been? Ted was the suicide king? Well, yeah. <laughs> Really? That's based on based on his degen behavior in the book, it makes sense. <laughs> I never thought about that. You're absolutely right. He has to be the suicide king. I, uh, you know, I never, I never really thought about my name being on the cover where the professor, the banker, and the suicide king. Uh, no, it never came into play. I, did you ever have you know, a nickname in poker? I did. Did anybody try I to never, give you one? Yeah, Doyle called me a bitch all the time. Um, <laughs> That's not good. Oh, it's fine. That's not good at all. It's fine. We just, you know, we just have, you know, we have a great relationship. It's fine. I never took offense to it. Usually if he called me a bitch, I was um, beating him a pot and he was actually teasing anyway. He didn't, he never meant it. So it's Oh fine. yeah, there's a, there's a, a famous story that he was very upset with you over a, a hand that happened, but that he got over it. What do you mean? There, there was a story I read about um, played a pot with him where uh, he maybe misread his cards, but he had mucked oh, yeah. them. And, yeah, but and that you was ended a up winning different. a sizable pot. <laughs> yeah, that what was, was that about? Um, I base I lost it on him. I got really mad at him, um, <laughs> and we literally didn't talk for a couple weeks. It, it was it basically. It was triple draw. I turned over my hand, which I thought I had a wheel. I threw away the wrong card um, before the draw, so I kept a pair, and I didn't realize that I kept a pair. So I caught like the card I needed to catch where I knew it would make me a wheel, and I bet. And he called, and a dealer called my hand that was a seven when I turned over my hand, but it was a pair of deuces, and he mucked his cards. I mean, he didn't really see my hand, but we were on opposite ends of the table. Yeah. He mucked his card. And I realized I had two deuces, so I could have easily taken my five cards and mucked them really fast, but I didn't. I said, oh, I have a pair of deuces, so he could actually see it. And he kind of like just started berating me like I was pulling a shot, and I definitely wasn't pulling a shot. If I was pulling a shot, I would have mucked my hand and taken the pot. 
<laughs> that's right. Why would you show it? You know, uh, yeah, that's funny. Like, uh, clearly the dealer and uh, <laughs> and he thought you both made a seven, so makes sense why he would muck his can- cards. But uh, so yeah, that's an awkward. We got in a big fight about it, and he thought he deserved the pot, and I gave it to him. Oh, really? I guess that's the uh, the vibe over in Bobby's room is you do what's ultimately fair for the for the game, or is it more? Well, yeah, no, you do you you make your own decisions. I mean, you hardly ever have a floor person come and make a decision. You make your own decisions usually, and you know I don't think it was really fair because he mucked his hand. What if he called with two threes, thinking I had two fives? Yeah, that's true. So I have to go by his word. So I think what would have been fair is we chopped the pot. Mm. But he was adamant about it, so I just gave him the whole pot. And then, not you know, I was pretty mad about it, so I had to quit the table. Well, I'm glad you guys have patched things up. (laughs) Uh, But I tell him all the time that you know that he better leave that money in that pot in his will. (laughs) It's funny, like uh, you know. You've said before that Doyle was kind of like your poker dad in a way, uh, but he wasn't l- like that to even Todd, his own son. Um, I'm wondering if that was a weird dynamic, you know, uh, getting advice from a legend like that while you're moving up in the game and who's also an opponent at your table. Yeah, there's some just some weird relationships going on in poker. It's, you know... Like, you know, I play against Daniel, who's my best friend. I played against Daniel when he was on the verge of going broke many times. It's, you know, some weird dynamics going on. Uh, But I think Doyle is a father to his son. I, you know, I've seen. No, but not a poker father because he wouldn't introduce him to the game. Right. Right. Not a poker father. Exactly. But, you know, Doyle would help me. But when you sit down at a table and he's your opponent, then anything goes. It's just the way poker is. Yeah, but you know, outside of poker, um, it's it's just a lot different. But you know, it's just a standard rule that if he's if you know you play hard against your opponent, whether they're your best friend or a father figure or whatever that person is to you, it's everything goes at a poker table, and you don't take that stuff personally, which in turn learns you not to take a lot of stuff personally in life. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, I, I do want to ask you uh, two more questions about uh, the big high-stakes matchups uh, versus Andy Beal. The first one being, uh, in the book, Michael uh, Craig mentions a moment where you flew back to Vegas from Italy. I think it was a Christmas or New Year's vacation. And it ended up being a practical joke. And Andy actually wasn't in town to play that day. I'm wondering if you ever found out who put you up to that and what was the outcome of that? I think it was Chip. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but you know, it it really didn't matter because when I flew back, there was an amazing game and I think I won like 80,000 and in that whole week, I think I won like 300 and something thousand. <laughs> so it was a good practical joke then. Yeah, so it worked out well for me. And I didn't really even find out it was a joke until later. I had no idea because they never told me. But I did so well that week that I flew back that, you know, play as many practical jokes as you want on me. 
<laughs> yeah, just like the guy with the 20,000. <laughs> as long as I'm winning, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I remember exactly. reading that and going, uh, wow, how brutal that she had to give up a vacation during the holidays and spend New Year's alone. But I guess if you got a quarter million in your pocket out of it, it's all for the better. Exactly. Yeah, just uh, put things in perspective. The last question I had was um, the uh, the book ends with the second to last session before 2006. And you weren't there because you were obviously in surgery getting uh, a kidney transplant. Um, but they called Marco to make the decision on whether or not to invest. That seems crazy to me that he would he would have to make a decision for such a huge investment while you are indisposed. Yeah, because Marco really wasn't a risk taker. Yeah. So he had a really hard time making that decision. And plus, one of the one of the requirements of whenever Andy came was you had to post up your money. It had to be there. Yeah, and no obviously, <laughs> Right. And obviously, there was no way he could do that. So I think another player... Well, I'm, I'm sure another uh, another player in, in the corporation said, I'll post it for you if you want to be in. So it was a really hard decision for him. And thank God he made the right decision. I yeah, mean, I, I remember I had surgery and I was in recovery for a while. And when I they wheeled me up to the room, Marco was in the room and. Yeah, I hadn't, I don't, you know, I don't know if my kidney, my new kidney works. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I just woke up. I just, they just wheeled me back up into the room. I'm still in a fog. I don't know anything. And Marco said, Andy's in Vegas. I said, are we in? (laughs) Are we in? That's such a great, that's, you're like loopy and you're still wondering about the action. (laughs) Well. So so I'm happy you made the right decision. Yeah, what would you have done if you woke up and he decided to pass? <laughs> oh my gosh, I would have killed him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure for him on a phone call. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, you would have had to deal with my wrath, and I tell you, my wrath could be harsh. <laughs> uh, okay, um, I have some rapid-fire questions uh, to wrap it up if you're ready to go. Sure. Let's see here. Uh, can you talk about your bracelet wins at all? And did that matter to you? Uh, was it something that you cared about? Obviously, you've always been cash game focused. Well, it's always good to be in the bracelet click. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, when I wanted to win a bracelet and took it seriously, I won a bracelet. And that's another, you know, like competing against myself kind of thing that I'm going to learn how to play tournaments good enough where I can win a bracelet where, you know, I went to Daniel and asked him for his expertise and knowledge on tournaments. And the first tournament I won the bracelet, Daniel didn't even know I played the tournament because I was playing in a stud eight or eight or better tournament. And I knew that the 5,000 no limit deuce tournament was going to start at five. And I really (laughs) wanted to play in it. And like random people would walk by, people I didn't even know, and I'd ask them, do you want to stake me in the tournament? And they're like, no. (laughs) And it was like... Oh, you you were getting a a stake for this because you hadn't played Deuce before, right? Right, but I would tell them, I've never played the game before, but I think I'm going to win it. And they're like, no. 
And Daniel was sitting at the next table over. Uh, you know, we were both in the same seats from the table over so we could talk to each other. And he's telling me how crazy I am for asking these random strangers whether they wanted to <laughs> stake me in this tournament. And then I got knocked out of the stud eight better tournament, you know, surprisingly, just at the right time when the tournament started. And I just said, screw it. I'm going to play it. Yeah, so, and that's, like one, that's one of the hardest fields at the series, basically, right? Yeah, it was, you know, I remember Armorillo Slim pulling me aside and says, you know, if you play this tournament, I'll bet you that you won't get far in this tournament. And, of course, that, like, just made me more determined. I said, okay, let's bet. <laughs> I said, how much money do you want to bet? And he's going, no, no, I don't want to bet money. I just want to bet a cup of coffee. And I'm like, well, then no bet. Oh, you should have you should have taken him up and make make him get you that coffee every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I just made that decision to play it. And, you know, I got like these notes from Howard on what to play in what position. And I read over the notes and I just went and played it. And it's, you know, deuce to seven's a real field game. And that's my strengths is feel. So. I was able to do well, and I'm, and I got lucky along the way. Trust me, everybody gets lucky in tournaments. But I remember the it was down to heads up me and Lyle, and Lyle said, "Let me see that bracelet to the floor man, to the tournament director." And he gave him the bracelet, and he said, "No, I don't like it like this. I want my name engraved here." And and he did have a big chip lead on me, but that raised the hair on the back of my neck. And Why I was are people okay. pissing you off? <laughs> That's right. Haven't they learned? <laughs> That's right. And I was like, you know, I can't believe that I'm going to finish second in this tournament. I'm so happy that I got this far. But once he said that, it was second was not good. Yeah. It wasn't even a choice. It wasn't even a thought. It's got to be first. And I remember there was one hand where he moved in on me, and I think he had me covered by one chip. And it was like in my brain, I don't know what it was. It was like I knew I was a dog to his hand, but I was, I had to draw, but I knew I was going to make it. I just knew it. And it took me a long time to make the decision. And I just said, I may, I just put all my chips in and, and I did make my draw and I left him with, I think, one chip. So I won the tournament, but, but, then I called Daniel and I woke him up and I said, I want a bracelet. And he said, what the fuck, Jennifer, quit playing around jokes on me and waking me up and hung up on me. <laughs> and then I called him back. I said, no, I played the tournament. I really won it. <laughs> and then That's... he got out of bed and, and came and celebrated with me. We went to one of the, like a dive bar um, downtown, downtown Las Vegas. And we celebrated me and Daniel. That's awesome. Do you uh do you have a special location for your two bracelets? Are they displayed anywhere, or you just got them in a box somewhere? No, I lost them. Really? <laughs> and then like, like um, I'm like, where are they? Where are they? And then I found them, <laughs> and then I lost them again. <laughs> Wait, but so they I are in your house them. somewhere? <laughs> but then I found them. Well, I like. I had one like place in LA and one place here and I guess they went to LA and, and I found them. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, I got a proper home now. 
Yeah, I finally showed my kids, I think, two months ago, my bracelets. They hadn't seen them? No. And they're like, oh, this is so cool. And then yeah, I remember, just... like, we were swimming. This is during quarantine. And they were talking to each other. And they were saying, you know, I hope that my kids, our kids are like, have, like, are as proud of us. And we do something big like like our mom did, like like the mom we have. Wow. And that made me just feel like they were, you know, that they look up to me and that they're driven to do something that's spectacular. That's that made awesome. me happy. What a prideful moment as a parent. <laughs> exactly. It was. I mean, I didn't bust out crying and thank them. I just, you know, let them go on with their conversation. But I was so proud inside. Yeah. Oh, that's a great feeling. Especially when you, you know, it, you know it's poker. You know, 30 years ago would have been... A, a shady profession to choose, you know, not fit for, for a parent. And now it's like, look at mom crushing. Yeah, it's like so cool. <laughs> well, um, let's see here. Uh, what was more fun filming? Lucky You or the reality TV show Sin City Rules? Lucky You, for sure. <laughs> you did not have fun uh, with the reality TV? Well, you know, in the beginning it was, I, I can't even tell you how many temper tantrums I threw. Like you have to be here at this certain time. And, and, you know, I'm a poker player. I don't like being there at a certain time. I don't like following <laughs> rules. I don't like being told what to do. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was going crazy, crazy. But then after a while I got used to it. And some of the girls I became really good friends with. So... I'm really happy I did that experience and I'm, you know, and now I just, I have some great relationships out of it. So I have to say, I'm really happy I did it, but lucky you was, I don't know. It was more fun. I mean, I'm sitting there in the sidelines playing <laughs> poker with Robert Duvall. I mean, who gets an opportunity to do that? I mean, we weren't playing for money, but who cares? Yeah. And you weren't playing yourself either. You had to be an, an actor. You no, were Shan but I'm saying, Shannon I'm saying, Kincaid. <laughs> that's right. That scene. But but I was like, we weren't filming. We were just playing. You know, Robert Duvall knew nothing about poker. Oh, that you mean just like on the set? Yeah. And awesome. that goes that goes to show you that how good of an actor he is. Because yeah. I was, you know, we were playing poker and talking about poker, and he really didn't know much about poker. So, you know, it was, it was interesting, you know, and this was, yeah, this was on the set. It wasn't, it wasn't, we weren't filming, but they offered me the chance to play the woman at the final table, that character, mm -hmm. but they were shooting during the world series and I didn't want to give up the world series to film that character, which I would have gotten paid a lot more. And I think it would have been more fun, but I turned it down and then they said, they called me back and they had already filmed my scene with Shannon Kincaid. <laughs> and, and they said, well, our shooting schedule changed and we're going to, you know, talk to the studio because we really want you to play the woman at the final table. But then they didn't have the budget to scrap the, to redo the Shannon Kincaid scene. Yeah. So it worked out where I couldn't do it, but. It still was a great experience, and oh. 
Now I got to know Curtis very well, the director and Carol, the producer. I got to know them very well and built great relationships with them. So it was, it was pretty cool. Curtis, you know, has now passed away, but it was an amazing experience for me. What about the kids? Have they seen uh, Mom as an actress? <laughs> I think they've seen Lucky You, but they don't care much. <laughs> <laughs> or, or there's also another credit here on your IMDb page, The Big Blind. As oh, my gosh. Oh, please. <laughs> that's an interesting story because I didn't, you know, that was, I, oh, that's, you know. I can't even, I have no words. But, <laughs> yeah, this was 99, so way before yeah. the boom. Oh, gosh. But I uh, <laughs> I called Daniel and I said, I'm going down to do this thing, this film. You have to come with me. I said, I, I need your support. So I like <laughs> dragged him into the car with me to drive down to L.A. to to film that, that sequence or whatever. Because, you know, me and Daniel, we were such good friends that... I'm telling you, Daniel, would have, he should have been in the movie, not me. <laughs> well, he was in a, an, an X-Men movie, so yeah, exactly. he eventually got his screen time. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. You were inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame in 2015. Was that another bucket list item for you, or did you think maybe one day or not even on your radar? No, it was on my radar. Yeah? Yeah. I am really happy that I got inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, to have the support of your peers to say that you're good enough to be inducted in the Poker Hall of Fame was was pretty rewarding and satisfying for me. And yeah. that really made me feel well because I've worked really hard at poker. And to have and to be rewarded by shoot, hang on. To be rewarded by, um, you know, my peers, that that's, like I said, incredibly rewarding to me. What is the biggest pot you've have ever you have ever won or lost? Your choice. Uh, this is okay. So I'm leaving Andy out of that because obviously the biggest pots I've won were with Andy because we obviously at one point played <laughs> one in two hundred thousand limit hold them <laughs> yeah that's pretty big yeah there was another there was a hand listed where you flopped uh broadway against him like you guys put in 13 raises on the flop or something <laughs> yeah crazy that was that was crazy but that i think we were only playing like 10 and twenty thousand or 20 and forty thousand. i'm not sure but the one and two hundred thousand. i mean the pots got fairly large that was that was a big game that was an incredibly huge game i can't even believe that I was able to disassociate from the money yeah, of the yeah. game to where I just thought they were just chips because, you know, you have to do that. But that was a incredibly big game. But for me alone, I don't remember bad beats. I don't remember hands. But I, the biggest pot I lost... I think it was four hundred and fifty thousand, and I remember that hand. Yeah, was it particularly brutal? Well, Doyle rode the broom on me. He says, "I think you got this one, Jennifer." And, mm. but yeah, I did win a portion of that pot, but I remember flopping a straight. It was PLO, a straight, and then up flush draw, and I was against 
a person that had the second nut flush draw and and uh and a straight draw to tie me and the other opponent had bottom two oh so so i think we ran it twice and the first one the opponent who made the same straight as me and the second one the board paired and the guy who won bottom two won half the pot <laughs> that's gross so i was oh. in pretty good shape that hand but you know that's the way it goes <laughs> yeah I, well there's the famous one on online people can look up where it was you against Corey zeidman <laughs> the straight flush oh, versus yeah. the queen's full yeah. yeah that was tough i had a gut feeling in my stomach that i was going to lose that pot i didn't realize it was going to be so brutal but poor Corey. Corey, you know whenever i see Corey, he still gets asked about that hand almost every day of his when he's in a poker room he never <laughs> he never gets a break from that hand and he, he was a little over the top with his <laughs> uh motions and and acting but <laughs> you know it worked out for him you weren't gonna yeah but but like I said, I, you know, I never take things personally. I mean, me and Corey, you know, it was no big deal. But I remember we were playing in a WSOP event and this player at the table, I couldn't focus. He was asking me questions every 15 seconds. And I was trying to play poker and focus. And I was ready to go to, for Mike's head to explode. And I and Corey was at the table. I said, why don't you ask Corey some questions? He's the one that put that really bad beat on me with a straight flush. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey yeah, went, guess... oh, thank you, Jennifer, for bringing that up. Thank you for diverting the attention to me. <laughs> yeah, might as well. He won the pot. He's got to pay. <laughs> exactly. um, what's the best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody outside of, you know, <laughs> Andy and the corporation? Maybe a tournament swap or piece. It's got to be Daniel. Yeah. He came through for you in a big one? Daniel's won a lot of money for me as he was trying to move up in the world. I remember he was in Atlantic City and he was going to play the Poker Players Championship or whatever it was that they were playing in Atlantic City a long time ago. Oh, the and U.S. Talk- Poker Championship? Yeah, maybe that was it. And he was, we were talking on the phone and he said, I got to find somebody to take half of me. And, he, and he's asking me who can he call to take half of me. I'm going, uh, me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take half of you and he won it so you know he came to the poker to Bellagio one day and just dropped off half of whatever he won in a paper bag and put it in front of me <laughs> but there were many times I took pieces of him in tournaments uh, where you know where he won or he did well or things like that he's a uh, He's definitely made me money. So I guess he would be number one. Yeah. Um, Obviously, when you broke into poker, there were casinos and poker rooms. But I'm wondering if there – what's the weirdest place you've ever played poker for money? (sighs) The weirdest place. Hmm. I'm I'm guessing it hasn't 100% been in casinos. Um, let's see, I was cheated once in New York when I played a home game. Really? How do you know you were cheated? 
Well, because he finally fessed up. Mm. I Was suspect it. I suspect it, like 90% suspect it, even before the game went off. Oh, it was like a cold deck situation? Yeah. Well, it was more like video cameras and being able to see your cards. Oh, man. Sophisticated cheating. And it was a very big game. Mm -hmm. But as far as that goes, I mean... The game shut down immediately after somebody said, like, they feel the game's being cheated. And then we went to the person. He denied it, denied it, denied it. And then he finally admitted it maybe a couple of years later. Mm. Well, hopefully the karma caught up with him. Uh, who is the best player we've never heard of? Was there somebody uh, you came up with that was just amazing but never got the credit for their skills? There's still a couple players that don't get the credit for their skills. Should have been in the Poker Hall of Fame way before me. Like who? I mean, well, finally, David Oppenheim got credit. He got, you know, Mm -hmm. he got inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. He's way better than I am. It's it's not even close. I talk to people about David, and and the consensus is that he he is the mixed game crusher. That he just doesn't have a B game or something. Yeah, he's just an excellent player. And I'm so happy he got inducted in the Hall of Fame because if, you know, if he went on the tournament circuit and really took tournaments seriously, he would he you know, he'd be up there with everybody else as far as tournament, you know, winnings go and things like that. He's just a good poker player. Period. And no, he knows no. he knows how to win and he's very good, but there's people like uh I would say um, Ray D. Cargani. Ray D. Yeah. I mean, he's he might be even, he might even he might even be better than I think he is better. I think he's better than Opie. He's better than David Oppenheim. I think the problem with Ray was always what he did with his winnings afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, that's pretty much that. That's a you know. That's a lot I think of people. That, that chapter in his life is closed as far as that goes. That's good to hear. So, but he's uh, always been great at poker. He's always, I mean, he's just phenomenal. And he's never gotten the credit. And people that, you know, when I bring his name, they're like, who? <laughs> and well, he's I, just I so think good. If he's a very boisterous personality at the table. So I think if you point him out, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Ray D, for sure. He's, he's a memorable character for sure. Um, let's see here. What is your largest non-poker wager? I remember betting a, oh, my non-poker wager. I'm, I bet a lot on a football game one time. Like, okay. Like 100000 <laughs> Okay. Did it work out? It did. Thank nice. God. <laughs> and I'll tell you another thing. I like I rarely make like sports bets. And we we're playing, and Opie said, "Oh, you gotta make, you gotta bet this college team. They're gonna win for sure." So I went and bet it, and they lost. <laughs> I didn't bet a lot. I think I bet like thirty five hundred. So I didn't bet a lot. But then I looked at the ticket, and the sports book wrote it up wrong. 
So I don't know if I screwed up the bet or the sports book screwed up the bet, but I won the bet. <laughs> it's a good thing you double checked it. I know, right? And I said, Opie, I said, did I win this bet? Did I bet the right side? And he said, oh, gosh. Yeah, you bet the wrong side. But Perfect. I bet the right side because I won it. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> that's funny. Um, what is a talent you don't have that you wish you did? Uh, to be creative. You mean uh, like artistically more... or? Yes. I always wanted to be a rock singer when I grew up. Well, and that I, leads I me have... to my next question, which is, uh, I don't what have do you a listen voice. to? I listen to everything. I love it all. My kids listen to a lot of rap. I like the music. I like rap. I like I like everything. The only thing that I have to struggle with is jazz. Mm. But Two, I three, like, four. I don't know. I just don't like the sound of the horns. I don't know what it is. It just it drives me crazy. I cannot go to a nice jazz club and listen to jazz. It just drives me nuts. You know, even though jazz is pretty awesome i just it's just not good no, my wife would my wife would definitely agree with that sentiment she can't handle the the horns either um what about headphones on at the table do you do that at all or i do yeah i do a lot um what are you listening to uh just something distracting or some pump-up music like a workout mix maybe some classical no classical i don't really like classical uh I don't know, just a different array. Depends on, you know, what I like. There might be a song on the on the radio that I really like and I'll just play it over and over and over mm. and over again. And if I'm winning in this tournament, I'll play it till the till I get knocked out. Really? So okay, that brings me to my next question, which is are you superstitious at all? Mm, only towards fifty dollar bills. What is it about fifty dollar bills? I don't know. They're unlucky. Don't you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Didn't, so you just don't. <laughs> didn't you get the memo? I didn't know this. Uh, for the record, anybody listening out there wants to send me their $50 bills, I'll take them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no qualms about that. Uh, but that's the only superstition. It's not like you you don't have a lucky seat or um, uh, no. you know, a favorite hand or anything. Nope. <laughs> no superstitions thank god there's too much to worry about than i mean too much to think about in poker than actually putting superstitions on top of it too oh gosh All right. <laughs> uh, we mentioned the music what about movie do you have a favorite movie godfather one and two uh, i'll give you both they're that good i'll give you both of those answers <laughs> uh, what I, about I poker the kids get old enough to like watch Godfathers, the Godfathers with them. I'm so excited. I have such a long list of, of films to show my my daughter, and it's like I, I'm gonna have to wait another ten years. None of the references will, will be, a, you know, it's crazy. It's so frustrating. I can't I can't do animated movies anymore. Uh, I know. But yeah, the God the Godfather. That's a good one. Uh, um, let's see here. Uh. Where was I? Oh, favorite gambling movie. Wow, there's so many. I mean, I love The Sting. Mm. 
there's so many good ones. Um, Cincinnati Kid. You know, I love Rounders. I there's so many good ones. Let's see here. Oh, forgot about this one question. Who is your celebrity doppelganger? Or who have people told you you look like maybe growing up or recently? A lot of people used to say Goldie Hawn. Okay. I feel like she's older. I don't know if that works. And then they'll even say Kate Hudson. That makes more sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can see Kate Hudson. Um, Do you like telling people that you're a professional poker player? Like, let's say you get into an Uber or something, and uh, they say, what do you do for a living? Do you tell them the truth or not your favorite thing? It all depends. I mean, if I don't feel safe in an Uber, I won't tell them I'm a professional poker player. Is that weird? No, that makes sense. <laughs> you might be carrying a lot of cash. But I, uh, I, you know, before the poker boom or, or whatever happened with poker, I used to tell people I was a songwriter. Oh, that's cool. Because that was so much easier to believe than me saying, oh, I'm a poker player. And you don't actually have to sing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I usually tell people I'm a poker player or like my kids will just blurt it out. Oh, she's a poker player. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're so it's been a lot easier since the poker room to tell people that you play poker for a living. Uh, do you have a nemesis in poker? Someone you can't beat or somebody who is always held over you? No. No? no not even no for like nemesis. a stretch of time? Of course there's stretches of time where they beat me all the time, but I, I just, I don't, I don't really think about it. It's mm. just, I just try and play my game when I'm playing poker, so I don't really think about, you know, if they are beating me over a a long period of time I will watch their game very carefully because for one maybe they're better than me most likely they're better than me and I want to be as good as them so I'll watch everything about them and see what they're doing that I'm not doing or number two it's just you know it's just the luck factor involved yeah and that will change I have two more questions and I'll let you go uh do you have a bold prediction for poker's future? Oh, gosh. As far as COVID? No, just anything. It could be for 10 years down the line. I mean, any thoughts on where the game is headed? Any concerns? Poker's always evolving. It always goes through different stages. Uh, it has different eras. You know, I imagine the game's going to get way better. I I feel that people are going to go more to mixed games just because it's more fun. Uh, not as you know boring just to play one game. Yeah. So I feel that eventually it will just be mixed games. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like, remember, uh, imagine one like a 10K main event for mixed horse or 10 game or 8 game or whatever, and it gets thousands of people. I mean, that's that could be happening one day. 
Yeah, that would be here. awesome. All right, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from random question creator. Here we go. Okay, if you became president, what is the first thing you would do? Uh, get rid of corruption. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a big task. <laughs> but oh, yeah, shit. I think it's the most important one. <laughs> oh man. Big step one, but I think it is the the way to go. Mm. Anyway, Jennifer, thank you I so much for the podcast. Unless you have more thoughts on how to fix the world. No. <laughs> I don't, but I don't know. I'd love to be president just to ride on Air Force One. How cool would that be? That could be the thing. First step one, ride on Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> to fix the world. Jennifer, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and sharing the story. You're quite welcome. That was awesome. Have a great, have a great night and stay safe and... It's crazy times. 2020 is kind of a shit show, so everybody stay safe. That's it. That's the show. Thank you once again to Jennifer, especially for putting up with my constant badgering to come on the podcast. Jennifer was, of course, one of our most requested players. And believe it or not, I first got her to agree to the interview back in October of 2017. But our schedules never quite lined up right. It ended up taking a pandemic to make it happen, but I think you'll agree that it was well worth the wait. You can find Jennifer on Twitter at RealJenHarmon. She may have a project to announce in the near future that you might want to check out. You can also follow us on Twitter at CardPlayerMedia or at Poker underscore Stories. Don't forget, subscribe, five stars, and leave a review. And let us know that you did it with an email to PokerStories at CardPlayer.com to get your free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. Thanks for listening. <laughs>